Hi friends, Fred Harrell here. Thanks for tuning in to the weekly City Church Sermon Podcast. Just a note that as we continue to shelter in place here in San Francisco, we will be bringing you our Sunday Sermon audio recording via Skype over a Facebook Live broadcast. So if the audio quality seems like a little lower than normal, then now you know what's happening. We just wanted you to know. You can join us on Facebook Live each Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening and subscribing to our podcast. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would meet us now as we come to look at your word. Give us grace to receive it. Give us hearts that are receptive. Help us to know that we are here right now because you have seen to it. Help us to believe that you see us in all of our beauty and in all of our fragmentation. And your response is always to pursue us in love, to restore us, to renew us, to heal us. So help us now to be present to your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw on Twitter earlier this morning, somebody said, if you aren't taking up for poor Thomas today in your sermon, you're probably not doing it right. So let's just start right there. Poor Thomas. I mean, what a bad rap. All these years known as Doubting Thomas. I'd like to rename him Human Thomas because he's simply being honest. He's surrounded by people telling him Jesus is alive. We saw him. And Thomas just wants one shred of proof. Sorry, haven't seen a lot of dead people resurrected. Excuse me if I don't believe a person came back to life for crying out loud. You can just hear him saying that throughout this week as he continues to hear Jesus is alive. So first, a word about doubts. 
I call them holy doubts. And then second, a word about scars, which I'm calling holy scars. So holy doubts. We pick up our story from last week where Mary Magdalene has announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord on this morning of the first day of the week. And into that very room where those disciples are seated in the evening of the same day, Christ comes to the beloved community, a community of deniers, betrayers, shamers, and unbelievers. Of course, Jesus comes to this community. They didn't have to have their collective act together in order for Jesus to appear among them, and neither did Thomas. Jesus just kind of barges right in, and that's what Jesus does, thankfully. Jesus barging into our fears, our own locked doors, our anxiety, our doubt, our shame, our low self-esteem, our lack of faith. Often that is exactly when Jesus barges into our life, when we are most aware of our need for rescuing grace. Maybe Jesus is always saying, peace be with you, because he appears seemingly out of nowhere a number of times. My goodness, I can almost hear a disciple or two saying, you know, after the second or third time of this saying, hey, a little warning, please. And maybe you wouldn't have to say, peace be with you. But Jesus showing up for Thomas is really important because it tells you something. He doesn't begrudge your doubts, your questions, any of it. Jesus makes sure and pursues people after his resurrection. And I'm grateful that one of those he pursues is someone human enough to doubt. And let's just say it. We all have this in front of our name, if we are honest. We could all go by doubting, doubting Fred, doubting Linda, doubting Jared, doubting Lisa. The best thing about doubt is that at least it is honest. It is not the opposite of faith. It's actually a huge component of a real and authentic and honest faith. So Thomas has every reason to doubt. He not only knew he was dead, he watched Jesus die. Thomas is still grieving his loss, and he's now supposed to believe his grief is all for naught. His pain isn't an authentic loss. He's been through a lot Not more drama, please. He's got to be thinking. But Jesus meets Thomas where Thomas is. And I want you to notice that Jesus does that with everyone. Daniel Brereton is an Episcopal priest in Canada. And he wrote this. Mary Magdalene needed to hear her name spoken in order to believe. Peter needed to hear, peace be with you and be forgiven to believe. Thomas needed to touch the wounded places to believe. Paul needed to be knocked off his high horse to believe. God meets us where we are. In Jesus, Mary found the one who called her by name. In Jesus, Peter found the one who forgave the past and empowered her for the future. In Jesus, Thomas found the one who shares our pain and helps us transcend it. In Jesus, Paul found the one he'd been waiting for but never expected. In Jesus, I found that same one. 
So with Mary, I say, I have seen the Lord. With Peter, I say, Lord, you know I love you. With Thomas, I say, my Lord and my God. And with Paul, I say, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus walks toward Thomas with all his scars and leads by showing his own. Saying, in effect, I know your wounds. Here's mine. I know what it's like to be betrayed, abandoned, cursed, and crucified. Thomas, come here. Touch my side and hands. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus meets Thomas and Jesus meets you in your very human doubts. Thomas has the courage to name the truth about himself. And as such, he is a model of vulnerability for all of us. He's not afraid to bring his whole self to Jesus. I think that's one of the most important things about this. Thomas is not afraid to bring his doubts, his authentic words. He's actually his whole self to Jesus. Jesus had prepared the way for Thomas to trust him in that way. At City Church San Francisco, we invite you always to bring your whole self into this community of Jesus with your questions, with who God has made you gloriously to be, with all of your life story, your scars, your victories, and otherwise. This is the oxygen needed, this space to bring your whole self. It's the oxygen needed for you to breathe in the grace of Jesus. You know, I've been sharing the faith of Jesus for 23 years in San Francisco. I haven't argued a single person into the kingdom of God. It's always about creating space for people to breathe in the grace of Jesus over time. And quite frankly, and surprisingly to me and to everyone else, Jesus appears in the room, whatever that room is, of their life. And resurrection starts to happen. And secondly, a word about scars, holy scars. So we wear our scars on our bodies. Some we are proud of. I could show you scars from surgeries after a football or a baseball injury. I could show you my all my crooked fingers. When I do this with you, you can almost kind of see, but there's three or four of them here that are broken. And I could tell you fun stories about how it happened in my past and, you know, this baseball player, this football play, et cetera. I like telling those stories. Then there are other scars, like the scars on my face. This camera I'm using smooths out my face, but it's far from smooth, as most of you know. I remember getting my first bit of acne in a sixth grade. By eighth grade, my face was completely covered. And it was the kind of the hardest kind of acne in many ways. It was large, inflamed, under the skin cysts. Sometimes I had to have them lanced because they would inflame. I wore a catcher's mask in baseball and a football helmet over half the year for sports. In Florida, that kind of weather, it was kind of a nightmare. It was painful physically and emotionally. Each day, I remember I would inspect my face in the mirror before school. Maybe you're in junior or senior high right now and you have the same thing going on. 
I want you to know I know it's tough. All the treatments were making no difference for me. My once clear complexion with a dimple in both sides of my cheeks was gone forever. It was puberty and adolescent hell. And I want you to know it sometimes it's adult hell. About six or seven years ago, I was in Sonoma for a congregant's wedding. I went to a restaurant and a crowd sitting at a bar began to taunt me. A guy shouted at me, hey, were you a boxer in a previous lifetime? I didn't get it at first. Then it dawned on me. So in Christian love, I walked over and I knocked him off his bar stool. I'm just kidding. Did I get anybody on that? No, I just stood up and left. I hadn't felt that way since probably junior or senior high school, which tells us how important it is that we love and support our kids in these fragile years of life. And my whole body felt it. I was surprised at how deep it hit me. Scars. Either you hear me talk about mine or you're contemplating yours and it runs deep because it often runs straight to shame, which told me that my body or my face was no longer acceptable or worthy of the kind of respect and love that others with a clear complexion had. I've listened to 30 years of stories of both men and women who carry so much shame in their bodies and the impact that has, that has had on them throughout their lives. I know this is universal. How much this shame steals and has stolen the joy of living for us. But think about this for a minute. Shame for what? Shame for what? I'll tell you, for having led an actual life, a life that does produce scars and stretch marks and emotional triggers and nightmares and joys and redemption and ecstasy and beauty. I mean, we actually have a culture telling us that we aren't allowed to look like we have lived each day consecutively since we were born, but we in fact have. And the power of scars is that they tell stories of accidents and disease, of childbirth, of loss and failure, stories of a life lived, of how long we have been on this earth and what's happened to us. And if to us by necessity happened to our bodies, because everything that happens to us in our life happens to our bodies. Every act of love, every insult, every moment of pleasure, every interaction with humans, every hateful thing we have said or had said to us happens to our bodies. Every kindness, sorrow, every ounce of laughter, we carry it with us in some form or another. We are walking embodiments of our unique story, and the scars from that aren't optional, but the shame from that is. 
Broderick Greer is a young, brilliant priest in Denver. He writes this, he says, Jesus authenticates his resurrection through showing his apostles the physical signs of his suffering. And that is the threat of moral authority people like Jesus pose. A firsthand experience with imperial brutality and a willingness to talk about it. This is what happened to me. Maybe one of the most singularly powerful lines a person can utter. Jesus asks us with his statement, with his scars, to hear his statement in every victim's statement of this has happened to me. Let me apply this further. Jesus's resurrection body did not erase the marks of having lived life or experiencing his death. It was how he was recognizable to Thomas and others. Not because his resurrection body fixed everything and made him perfectly a perfectly smooth-skinned savior with six-pack abs. Jesus wishes them peace and then showed them his scars on his hands and his side, which means Jesus had no shame about his body and the scars his body carried. He didn't try to hide the mark or conceal them in any way. And we should not be surprised by that because Jesus never gave us any indication in his life that he was afraid of or ashamed of the human body, however he encountered it. He never recoiled from diseased or deformed bodies. He reached out his hands specifically to touch lepers, corpses, blind folks, those whose legs didn't work anymore. Jesus was decidedly pro-body. He knew that he would be known by his scars just as we are. We can only really be known and know others when we show our scars. When someone shares their failures with me, I feel less alone in the world. How about you? Beyonce said it like this. Show me your scars and I won't walk away. Show me your scars and I won't walk away. She wrote those words most likely in the throes of a therapeutic process with her husband who had been unfaithful. I think what Queen Bee, as my children call her, is saying is that she can really only continue this relationship if she is in partnership with someone that will show her their scars, that will show her the woundedness of soul that gave way to the kind of behavior that blew them up. Otherwise, it can't be healed. She can't trust again, and she's done. And this is why I tell you all the time to get to know yourself. 
Because if you don't know yourself, and I'm talking about the self that God actually made and knows and delights in, not the self that we project out into the world to be rewarded or to survive. If you don't know your true self, you can't really show your scars with any depth. But when the scars are shown, understood, and mutually shared, well, that's the gospel in many ways. Because as you've heard me say many times, the gospel is to be known completely and loved deeply at the same time. That's when healing takes place. These bodies of ours are a holy mix of dirt and the very breath of God. We also believe that human bodies are so spiritually rich that even God wanted to take one on. A body that would, like you, like me, add on many scars. These bodies of yours are yours. Every scar and bump, every glorious mark of age or smoothness of youth, we get to keep it all. All our stories, all our scars, everything that's happened to us doesn't get erased. But we also have freedom to exercise, don't we? To move beyond them. So that while part of our story, these scars are not the final word on our story. Jesus' scars tell us that it can lead to new life. Every wound, every misstep, every mistake. The resurrection means they don't have the final word. Hear Jesus today speaking peace to you. Hear Jesus maybe editing Beyonce and only Jesus can edit Beyonce. Show me your scars. I'm here to share mine with you. Show me your scars. I'm here to show mine with you. And I will never walk away. Amen.